The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe for this Thursday, the 11th of May in London. Coming up today... A double-digit problem surging inflation set to force the Bank of England into a 12th straight rate rise. Pause for thought. Cooling US inflation adds to the case for the Fed to stop hiking. Biden dials up the pressure. The US president warns the whole world is in trouble if America defaults. UK executives look for a US pay rise. A bonfire of EU laws is extinguished and the rise of olderpreneurs. Those are the stories we're looking at in today's papers and I'm Leanne Gerrans. Plus, Disney minus the entertainment giant sees a drop in streaming subscriptions. That's all straight ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. The business news you need to start your day in just one 15-minute podcast on Apple, Spotify, the Bloomberg Business app and everywhere you get your podcasts. Good morning, I'm Stephen Carroll. And I'm Caroline Hepke. Here are the stories that we're following today. The Bank of England is set to raise rates by a quarter point today. The move would take the bank's base rate to 4.5%, the highest since 2008. Speaking to us here on Bloomberg Radio, former Monetary Policy Committee member Sushil Wadwani said there's a strong argument for not going much higher. I think the risks of a US recession have gone up. Uh, which I then think possibly make it unwise for us to take rates in the UK to 5% or above. Wadwani's view feeds into a debate about whether the central bank will again leave the door open to more rate hikes. The decision due in midday London time with a press conference half an hour later. And we'll hear from Governor Andrew Bailey when he speaks to Bloomberg at four o'clock this afternoon. Bloomberg has learned that ECB officials are starting to accept that interest rate hikes might need to continue in September. Our sources say that some policymakers from across the spectrum of the governing council think that two further quarter point hikes may not be enough to tame consumer prices. That could mean a possible third move in September, bringing the deposit rate to 4%. The US, U.S. inflation has dropped below 5% for the first time in two years. The data signals that price pressure is beginning to ease with services inflation slowing noticeably. Bloomberg Opinion columnist and former New York Fed President William Dudley says there's more work to do. The Fed's making some progress on the inflation front, but they haven't made much progress yet on the labour market and on the wage trend. So it's hard to see inflation going all the way back to 2% with a labour market this tight and wages this high. They're going to keep rates at this level or maybe a little even a little bit higher uh, until they see signs that they're confident that inflation is going to get back to 2%. 
Speaking to Bloomberg, Dudley also conceded that the Fed's monetary policy has contributed to problems in the banking sector. US CPI came in at 4.9% year on year. Investors greeting the figures as a sign the central bank is unlikely to keep tightening. The Fed raised its benchmark rate above 5% last week for the first time since 2007. So US inflation shows signs of cooling, perhaps giving the Fed room to pause. But the debt ceiling remains a major concern. President Biden says that a default would drag the US into a recession and have devastating repercussions for the global economy. Here's what's happened if MAGA Republicans get their way. American defaults on our debt, higher interest rates for credit cards, car loans, mortgages, payments for Social Security, Medicare, our troops, veterans could all be halted or delayed. Biden's remarks come a day after his first round of talks with uh, congressional leaders made little headway towards an agreement. Disney's shares fell on after hours trading on Wall Street after the company reported a drop in streaming subscribers. The firm says losses at the division will rise by $100 million this quarter. But David Trainer, CEO of New Constructs, who specialise in investment research, says it's not bad news. Streaming was never really meant to be a profitable business. It's a loss leader for other profitable businesses, and Disney is by far the best position, media and content company, to monetize content. David Trainer says the key news for Disney shareholders is still the recent return of CEO Bob Iger. Total revenue at the world's largest entertainment firm rose by 13% to $21.8 billion for the period, driven by a strong performance of the company's theme parks. And investors have wiped as much as $2.3 billion off the market value of Carl Icahn's investment firm after it disclosed a federal inquiry into its practices. More now from Bloomberg's Charlie Pellet. It adds to the pressure that a short seller attack has been putting on the stock since last week. According to a filing, the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York is seeking information on Icahn Enterprises' corporate governance, securities offerings, dividends and due diligence. Icon Enterprises says it is cooperating with the request. Separately, the firm hit back in detail for the first time against short-selling firm Hindenburg Research's report, which claimed on May 2nd that the company is overpriced and said it found evidence of inflated valuations for some of its assets. In New York, Charlie Pellet, Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. Those are a few of our top stories then for you this morning. I mean, interesting the story around short sellers with Carl Icahn because there's another piece on the terminal that there are now investigations that are beginning into short sellers related to those US regional banks. It seems to have piqued the interest of the FDIC and others. Uh, I think that will be quite interesting if that becomes a bigger issue given yeah, the, the importance of that story in the last few weeks. Yeah, certainly one to watch. Um, meanwhile, Caroline, do you get nostalgic about technology? Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> I just like the I am novelty. Un- I am unsurprised all. by that. <laughs> uh, no, because this is the whole idea of uh, flip phones basically oh. are back, except if you're Apple, because this is the the foldable screens. We were all marvelling at a colleague of ours' uh, foldable phone earlier uh, in the week. But the trend of a foldable phone, which has you know, been around for a couple of years now, debuted yeah. by Samsung in 2019, uh, still Apple hasn't managed to enter that game yet. And there's a great piece by our colleague Vlad Savov looking at this um, and how it's not unusual necessarily for Apple not to jump on a technology trend immediately because they tend to sit back and wait until they can do it well and in an Apple way. Yes. Uh, but the question now is, is whether or not Apple will jump on the foldable bandwagon or hmm. maybe not. 
Listen, I think um, if it's a great bit of kit, of course you, you want to have it. I think perhaps Apple can afford to be relaxed. I mean, what, they totally dominate the kind of high-end market for smartphones. I mean... 77% yeah, of the market the for market. phones that are of over $751. But, it's but having said that, you can understand that they do not want to be caught out if this is definitely the new, the, yeah. the kind of new wave of technology. At the moment, it's largely the Android phones, though. That are exactly, kind of yeah, yeah. And it's this question as well as that, you know, do... I find um, working on a phone quite frustrating. And is that is that age? Is that because I'm just I, looking to find I, it too well, small? Well, it's just the staggering amount of time that we spend having to look at yeah. the screen, isn't it? I think that's the, the is tricky a bigger thing. phone better or worse for that? Anyway, yeah. a debate for another day. Let's turn back to matters here in the UK and the dilemma facing the Bank of England as it goes into its right decision today. Stubble, stubborn, rather. Uh, Double-digit inflation, uh, set to force the Bank of England into a 12 straight interest rate rise today, even though the end of its lightning quick hiking cycle is coming into view. Let's bring in our UK correspondent, Lizzie Burden. Lizzie, what should we be expecting from the Bank of England today? Well, Stephen, we are expecting a quarter point hike to 4.5%, but there is going to be a vote split on the committee. Economists reckon it'll be the same as last time, 7-2, because you've got doves like Silvana Tenreiro saying to be a hawk right now is like being a fool in the shower, keeping turning on the hot tap, not being patient enough to wait for the warm water and scolding yourself in the process. But you've got hawks on the committee, the likes of Catherine Mann, saying you need to bear down on inflation expectations, keep going with the tough action, get in control of the second round effects of this imported inflation. So a 7-2 split, 4.5% where we expect rates to end up today. But the real focus will be what's the future path for rates and when does the pause come? So how much forward guidance do you really think we're going to get then? I mean, this is um, a question because how much certainty can you give when there's so much uncertainty around the data? We've had surprise after surprise when it comes to the inflation and labour market data. How credible can the Bank of England be other than saying it's all data dependent from here on out? Was the Bank of England too dovish earlier in the cycle? And is it too late for tough talk now? So we'll get the press conference. We'll hopefully have the interviews after that. But I would look at the forecasts for clues for the future path for rates. Most economists Bloomberg have surveyed say that the bank's going to raise its inflation forecast for this year, next year and 2025. Uh, that's because, of course, we've had that upside inflation surprise in the latest data. And it'll be interesting to see where the bank reckons inflation will end the year because NISA, the think tank, has said that Rishi Sunak's priority, his top priority of halving inflation by the end of the year, isn't looking necessarily realistic anymore. And in fact, they say that it's pretty irresponsible to have set that target because it interferes with the bank's inflation-fighting mission. What about quantitative tightening, Lizzie? What should we be expecting to hear on that front? So economists expect that the bank's going to keep going with its current pace of quantitative tightening, cutting the portfolio of bonds by £80 billion a year with just over half from active sales. Of course, it started gilt sales last November and then we've heard from the Deputy Governor Ben Broadbent saying last month that a decision on QT is due in September. So nothing expected on that front today. We'll have to wait till after the summer.
Okay, our UK correspondent Lizzie Burden, thank you very much for joining us with the latest from the Bank of England. That decision due at midday today. Up next, though, US UK execs look for a US pay bump, a bonfire of EU laws is extinguished, and the rise of oldrepreneurs. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. The Paper Review on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. The news you need to know from today's papers. Bloomberg's Leon Gerrans joins us with a run through the newspapers. Let's start with the Financial Times. Does it pay for British executives to move to the US? This is such a pertinent question. What did they find? Yes, indeed, Caroline. Isn't this debate really back into the spotlight? The article in the FT really breaks down the pros and cons for British executives debating whether they want a new life in the US. Now, the debate over whether the UK is using its top talent and actually fall a furthing behind New York as the home of the world's top companies. As I just said earlier, it's really something that's coming to the forefront again. And fears are growing among boards that restrictions on wages are actually damaging UK-based companies. Recently, we heard from the LSE boss that Julia Hoggett's calling for a fresh look at how executives are paid right here in the UK. And we also know shareholders recently voted down proposals for pay at Unilever. A lot of people are saying top executives shouldn't get all this money in a cost of living crisis. Mm. Now, Gavin Patterson, he used to run BT, but left the company here in the UK to work for Salesforce, the big tech company over in Silicon Valley, told the paper on a personal level, you earn more money in the US. But what's interesting is he's come back to the UK now, is reflecting on it and says governance in the US has positives and negatives. He says reflecting you know, on the threat of class action lawsuits, which is very different here in the UK compared to the US. And I just want to say, how much do you think a chief executive role's medium pay is in the US, Stephen? Without looking. Uh, I don't know, like six, seven million? So it's $13.4 million and that's compared with the UK which is 5.5 million million dollars. Now that was back in 2019 according to Wills Towers Watson. So whew, well, there we can, are. But listen, you can earn a lot more but the size of businesses in the US uh, markets is much larger on average obviously. So, But yes, there is still a huge
huge premium um, for working in the United States. I quite like this, though, um, this line around outrage constraint is still lower in the US. Um, yeah, and, and that is a, a kind of issue, the comparisons to what the median pay is in the business versus the CEO. Anyway, that from the FT. Bonfire VU laws are scaled back to the fury of Brexiteers. So this is the ongoing story around legislation and it's in the Times. Yes, it is, Caroline. And we have discussed this before in the paper review and it's something that has been brought up and it's been a hot topic for a while within the government. Now, the government, according to the Times, has ditched its plans for thousands of EU error laws to expire automatically at the end of the year. Now, we did already know this, but now we know the extent of it. Now, the plan was dubbed a post-Brexit bonfire and it is a major Brexit U-turn from the government. We must remember that this was the legislation promised by the government, especially in its last election manifesto. Now it's going to scrap EU laws, which has infuriated these right-wing backbenchers. So they've done this huge U-turn to scrap those EU laws. Mm. The Times says only a fraction of the nearly 4,000 EU laws still in effect in the UK will be scrapped. So 550 laws will now be revoked and 3,000 will remain. Kemi Badenoch, the Business and Trade Secretary, said the government would no longer sunset all the laws by the end of the year. The sunset means expire them by the end of the year. And Badenoch said that it had just become so mm. clear that during the process of identifying which UK laws to derive from the EU that there was a risk that important legislation could be scrapped inadvertently. Now, as I said, we had heard about this rollback happening before, but now we're really seeing the extent of it, which has annoyed right-wing backbenchers and Brexiteers of the Tory party. Okay, so details there coming from uh, the government on the reduced scale-back of those uh, EU laws. Let's go to the Telegraph next, Leanne, and a piece from the journalist Helen Kerwin-Taylor talking about why more and more of Generation X have no intention of retiring. So journalist and artist Helen Kerwin-Taylor's opinion article is a ray of sunshine if you don't want to play golf, cut back or quietly quit as you start going grey and have a dodgy hip. Now, this is what she says in her opinion article for The Telegraph. And she says, as Generation Z whittles down its working week to four days or even less, Generation X seems to be heading in the opposite direction. And she also makes the point that Jeremy Hunt's so-called grey budget in March confirmed the government doesn't want them to quit either. She talks about older preneurs uh, launching new ventures in our late 50s, she says, and beyond. And she says this group is twice as likely as a 30-year-old to start an extremely successful company. I think that's pretty Mm. amazing. She also talks about Trini Woodall. She started her brand at the age of 53. She's got a really, um, you know, extensive beauty brand now. She does makeup. Mm. She does clothes. We remember her. Not not quite a typical entrepreneur. Not quite the typical. We remember her from the days of her shows. But she was already well-known. But, you know, it now has a market valuation of £180 million, her business. And she's so good on social media. It shows that age doesn't matter when it comes to that. And Jeremy Clarkson, too. He's been learning a lot about farming. Clarkson Farm. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Uh, no. I, Stephen and Caroline are laughing. Yeah, we're, But we're Clarkson's just farm has become a big deal. Well, look, I, the thing is, we're all living longer. So, you know... Um, 
for me, my life expectancy for the year that I was born in is 77. So you can understand that actually everyone needs to keep going for a little bit longer. Um, and entrepreneurship, yeah, the most popular time to start a business, obviously, in your 50s. But like Stephen said, they have pointed out people who already had successful careers. So yes. they're launching themselves from a position already. Not to take away from their success. Not course, to take away from their success. Right. But I just think this is a great article. Doesn't matter if you're going grey like me. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe, your morning brief on the stories making news from London to Wall Street and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed every morning on Apple, Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning on London DAB Radio, the Bloomberg Business app and Bloomberg.com. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 11.30. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day, right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.